Thanks so much, Kyle. And because worship is so much more than just a song, we wanted to start off our time together by worshiping through the reading and study of Scripture this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 15 with me today? And let's celebrate God's truth and His Word that He's given to us. I mean, I know as I was listening to that song, first service this morning especially, there's just so many things in the lyrics of that that are convicting to my heart about where I am and things that, that I can often put on center stage before God and say, man, this is more important in my life than you are. And so we have to be very careful about that. And so Jesus is going to help us as we're finishing up this series called Get in the Game. Today, Jesus is going to help us understand how to keep Him as the priority and not to get things out of order and out of sorts to where there are idols in our lives that would take precedence over Him. And so I want us to see how that happens. Look at John chapter 15 and start in verse 12. Read this along with me. Jesus says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in the name of the Father, He will give you. In my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And so we've been using throughout this series some sports illustrations, sports analogies to help us connect some points a little bit. And one of the things that I enjoy about sports is how they, uh, especially collegiate sports, is how they'll, they'll pull other people in to this environment and, uh, and celebrate other people. I don't know if you had a chance yesterday to watch uh, ESPN's game day, but they had this story about uh, the University of Iowa. Iowa has built a children's hospital addition that overlooks their stadium, and so they started a new, um, a new tradition where at the end of the first quarter, everyone turns around in the stadium and waves to the kids in the children's hospital. I mean, it was just like this emotional thing. I mean, I'm crying on my couch watching game day of all things. And, uh, and so uh, all these things that just go, man, I love how sports connects people and engages people. And one of the things that always happens at big sporting events, especially things like the NCAA Final Four tournament or uh, the Super Bowl or something like that, is that big sponsors will give someone an opportunity to earn big money. Have you seen this? It might be something like a Dr. Pepper field goal kick where they'll give them a chance to, to kick a 30-yard field goal or something. If they hit it, they make $100,000 or, uh, or they get a scholarship or, or maybe it's a, a basketball game where at the final four they'll give someone a chance and say, if you hit a half-court shot, we'll pay your tuition for the next year. Uh, and so they'll always pull people in, but you get, you get one shot at it, right? And if you miss that one shot, you don't win. Uh, and so I thought we would take advantage of something this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, I'm going to pit our two newest staff guys. They didn't know I was going to do this, but I, I used somebody else in the first service. Uh, in the first service, we actually had uh, two high school kickers that were here. Drew Miller goes to Davis Bennett. He kicks for Davis Bennett. And Lyric Schmidt goes to South, and she's the, the kicker for South. Uh, Lyric, we actually will show you this just so you can connect, connect both services. Lyric was the homecoming queen this past Friday at South, and so that's really cool. Uh, we kind of told her, I was like, you're probably the only girl wearing a football uniform that won homecoming queen. Uh, and so it was great because then you're able to taunt the other team and go, our homecoming king or queen is better than your football team. And, uh, and so that's a really cool thing. But, um, but anyway, I'm going to ask Nathan and Kyle to come up here because we're going to give them one shot. Yeah, you guys welcome them. We're going to give them a shot. I've got this, uh, this really cool thing. We're not going to kick field goals in this room, but I do have a flick it or kick it field goal, mini field goal thing. And so uh, we're going to pit them against each other. And guys, 
You know, you get one, you get one kick. Okay, you get one shot. That's all you need. Okay, great. And so here's what we're going to do for you. I know, Nathan, you're, you're going to school right now working on your master's degree. So we've decided if you hit your field goal, we're going to pay for your master's degree as a church. We're not really going to do that. Um, you're going to Liberty and it's really expensive there. And so we're not, but you know, if, if one of you guys makes this, we will buy you an iTunes gift card. And so you can have some new music to listen to. All right, big boy, come on over here. And uh, I can see it's the Tennessee thing. So, look, please, somebody make one of these so Tennessee scores some points this weekend, okay? Come on over. You get one kick for not $1 million. Oh, Kyle's going to taunt. Okay, let's see if you can make the field goal here. $50 iTunes card. All right, then. All right, here we go. Oh, no, that was wide, no, wide right, wide right. From that angle, it was still wide right. Okay, so you get nothing. Okay, Kyle, let's see. Let's see what you got, man. They didn't have any practice at this. No one practiced. They didn't get any coaching or help. Come on now. So here we go. Oh, wow. Man, I should I should buy Nathan something just because that was so bad. All right. Terrible, terrible. Okay, you guys give them a hand. Um, get off stage now. Go. I knew I shouldn't let him up here. Well, when you think about this and how this connects and ties into what what are we doing with our faith? This, this is one of those things where you're like, man, you get one shot. And when, the way I want to connect this this morning is to say when Jesus was on earth, his plan for making disciples and for carrying out his mission was to invest in 12 men. They were going to take his message, take his mission, and carry them forward. Jesus had one shot. He had a plan A approach to carry on the mission of the church, to make disciples through the whole world. I'm going to invest in 12 men, and then I'm going to send them out in my name with my authority, and they're going to do and replicate, go and replicate everything that I've been done. But it was a one-shot deal. If this messes up, Jesus didn't invest in any other thing. So this is how... My church in every generation, over the decades, in every culture, my church will grow and expand as disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. It's a one-shot thing. And so Jesus put all of his eggs in this basket of making disciples. And over the last month, we've been talking about what it looks like to be a church who is a disciple-making church. That people who are followers of Jesus aren't content to just be on his team. We've talked about that a little bit. That there are a lot of people in the Christian church who have accepted Jesus into their life, who go to church on a consistent basis, a weekly basis, consistent kind, but they're on the team, but they're not really in the game. They're not really engaged, involved. They're not doing what Jesus called us to do. Jesus called us to make disciples. And anything less than that is missing the standard of what Jesus expects for those of us who are followers of Christ. And so here's what I want you to see from Jesus as he speaks to us in, in uh, Luke, or excuse me, in John chapter 15, verse 15. Listen to how Jesus talks about us. He says, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in, the, in my name, the Father will give to you. Let me point out just a couple of things from this passage. In, in, chapter, in verse 15, the first part of that, 
He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Here's what Jesus would tell us about being disciples who make disciples. We're in the family business. This is Jesus' business. And he's called us to be with him on this journey. He's made us, not servants, friends. He said, I'm not just going to let you be a, a worker in the company. I'm going to give you stock options. You're part of this team. You're in the family business. What I do, you do. The authority that I have, I give to you. You go in my name. You make disciples as I've made disciples. Jesus doesn't call us servants. He calls us friends. So all month we've been talking about what it looks like to be a friend of Jesus. Someone who is in this family business ministering on his behalf. And we said that Jesus has a method. He has an approach. How does Jesus make disciples? We're not just trying to randomly do things here and go, well, let's, let's see, you know, Jesus did things his way and some churches do things their way and we'll do things our way. We want to go back to the very foundations, the very basics of what Jesus did and we want to say, if this is what Jesus did, this is what we should do. How did Jesus make disciples? So we know how to make disciples. And so we use what's called the SCMD approach to disciple making. This is what we find in Scripture that Jesus did. S is share that we share the gospel with people and that we share God's truth with people, that we share with people how to know Jesus, how to have a relationship with Him, how to study His Word, how to pray, how to have a quiet time, how to uh, meditate on Scripture, how to share their faith. We want to share with people the truths of God. Then we want to help people to connect. We want people to connect to God first and foremost, and then we want His people to connect with one another. That to be in the church, we need to be connected to the body. To be in Christ means to be connected to His body. So we share with them about our faith in Jesus, and then we help connect them to God and to one another. And then the last thing that we want to do is we want to minister. We want to teach people to minister. And so as we minister in uh, regards to the gospel, we want to teach others to minister as well, to go out and serve in the name of Christ, to make an impact in our communities, to make an impact in our world, to give of ourselves, to say that other people are more important than us, and to give of ourselves to someone else. So we're going to share, connect, minister. And then as we do those three things, the next thing is to call people to disciple. And as they are disciples who are making disciples, guess what they're going to do? They're going to say, well, I want to share with you how to share, connect, minister, go make disciples. Then that person is going to say, let me teach someone how to share, connect, minister, go make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be about. And so Jesus says, you're in the family business. And here's what Jesus tells us in, the, in verse 15, the second part of verse 15. So for everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. So I've, I've taught you everything that I've learned from my Father. All the stuff that I've known, I've shared with you. I've connected you to God. I've connected you with each other. I've connected you to a bigger purpose. I've shown you how to minister and how to serve and how to go and impact this world. And everything I've learned from my Father, I've, I've shared with you. Jesus went through rigorous training as a child, learning what it meant to know God, to follow God, to know His Word and His ways. You know, a lot of times I think that we just assume, because Jesus was God in human flesh, that Jesus didn't have to work for anything, that it just came naturally to Him. Have you ever had that thought? Oh, Jesus just woke up one morning and knew all of the Bible. Right? Like, He didn't have to memorize it, He just knew it. I mean, we're told in Scripture that He was the Word who became flesh. So if He is the spoken Word of God who took on flesh, didn't He just automatically know it? Like it was just part of His DNA, it was built into Him somehow. And so He just was able to, from the earliest ages, quote Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. Like Jesus could just do that because He's Jesus, right? But see, there's another passage of Scripture that tells us that Jesus, even though He was fully divine, He took off a lot of His omniscience 
in order to be fully human as well. That He stripped Himself to be like us. And so I've been reading a book lately called The Forgotten Jesus by an author or pastor named Robbie Gallaty. And I just wanted to share with you for a second a little bit about Jesus' early life. And the Bible doesn't speak a lot of Jesus' young life, but we can take from reference about what we know of Jewish culture and how Jewish children learn Scripture and grow in their relationship with God. And then from that, be able to say, well, if that's how everyone did it, that's how Jesus did. And so what can we learn from that? So I want to just read you a couple of things here. It says, Robbie Gowdy says this, The only thing we're told explicitly about Jesus' upbringing is that at an early age he's found in the temple studying the Scriptures with the sages of Israel. For the Jews, study was encouraged and expected. Jewish philosopher uh, Moses Maomendez says, uh, describes the commitment that the Jews had to reading and studying the Torah. He writes this, Every person in Israel is obligated to be engaged in Torah learning. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So these people would be engaged in Torah learning, whether one is poor or wealthy, whether one is whole in body or afflicted with suffering, whether one is young or one is old and feeble. Even a, a poor person who is, supposed, uh, who is supported by charity and goes from door to door seeking benevolence even the man supporting his wife and children, everyone is required to find a set time during the day and night and study the Torah. As it was said, you shall go over it again and again, day and night. So Hebrew men and women spent time with God in prayer throughout the day and families were encouraged to have discussions about the Torah at every meal. The New Testament tells us that Jesus was fully human, like us in every way, yet without sin. And Philippians 2 tells us that the Son of Man humbled Himself and didn't exercise His divine privileges while He lived on earth. We're told that He grew and developed physically, mentally, and relationally like any other human being. That means that Jesus didn't exercise His divine omniscience in a way that would have made Him superhuman or seem otherworldly. Jesus was a human being who worked, studied, learned, and did all the things human beings normally do. He took the time to learn the Scriptures. He experienced emotions and loved God's Word. He also lived out God's Word, living out what He learned and living in obedience to it. Scripture flowed out of His mouth because it was hidden in His heart. The practice of memorizing Scripture was common for Jewish men, and Jesus would have been no different. This was something that Jesus worked at. And so He says, what I've learned from my Father, I'm now going to pass on to you. I've told you everything that I've learned. And so we see Jesus that He's invested in this relationship with His Father to a point that He has all of this knowledge, all of these things that He wants to pass on, and He's going to make disciples of His Father. And then he's going to leave with him the challenge to say, now, you go and do the exact same thing with someone else. You go and make other disciples. So what Jesus learned from God, he passed on so that they would pass on their faith as well. That's what a disciple is. If you're taking notes this morning, either on our YouVersion app under the events page, or if you want to write some things on the bottom of your bulletin or the back of your bulletin, just write this. Here's what a disciple is. A disciple is one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. That's a disciple. It's someone who accepts and then assists in spreading the doctrines of another. So if I have something that, that I follow someone and I believe what they're saying, I accept their teaching, and then I want to not only accept their teaching, but I want to make sure other people know their teaching. I want to pass along what I'm learning from them to someone else. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so we're called to be disciples of Jesus. That if we're believers in Christ, if we're Christians, then we're called to be His disciples, to accept His teaching, and then to assist in passing it on to others. 
So if you're someone who would look at life and say, I want to make biblical disciples, let me give you this next thing under your blanks, your outline. You can only make biblical disciples if you abide with Jesus. If you abide with Him. That's how you make biblical disciples. So if you've accepted the teachings of Jesus, if you've accepted the salvation of Jesus, if you've accepted the hope of Jesus, then you're going to assist in spreading the doctrine of Jesus. Because all of us are growing in our spiritual maturity. Uh, this is one of those stages where we all try to figure out, we're all believers in Christ, or, or if you are a believer in Christ, then you're going to find this way to take a next step in growing in your spiritual maturity. So some of us may be spiritual infants at this stage in life, where you've come into faith in Christ, but you know very little about Him, how to study His Word, the truth of Scripture, how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to pass along your faith. You're a spiritual infant. Others of you might be a spiritual child. You're going, I, I can kind of feed myself. I've connected a relationship to God and to other people. I can take care of some things in my life, but I'm still growing. I still say some dumb things sometimes. I, I still mess up sometimes in, in some simple ways. So maybe you're a spiritual child, but then you're still growing, you're maturing, and then you want to grow to a point where you hit this stage where you're a spiritual young adult. And so as a spiritual young adult, you're starting to minister and to serve and to give back and to figure out how your relationship with God is changing you to change others. But the ultimate place that we want to be at in life, the expression that God's called us to, the ultimate expression of our faith that God's called us to is to reach a place of maturity where we're spiritual parents. And spiritual parents reproduce. They reproduce other disciples. Spiritual parents are ones who say, I, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know everything, but I know enough about God. And I've been, been disciplined by Him. I've, been, uh, I've, been, I've bought into His teachings. I know how to assist in passing it along to others, and I want to make disciples of someone else. So the question that we have to ask then is, what does that take? If I've led into that place where I'm spiritually mature, I want to make disciples, what does that take? Well, here's the next thing on your outline. For us to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus, we have to learn to abide with Jesus. We have to be people who will be called into a relationship where we actually are with Him, abiding with Him. Look back at John chapter 15 and we go up to verse 4 this time. Jesus said, Remain or abide in Me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I want you to see something in this passage really quickly because when we talk about this, a lot of times people will use this passage as a way to say, well, this is, this is just one of those examples of saying that you can be in a relationship with Christ but then stop abiding with Him and lose that relationship with Christ and, and maybe you lose your salvation. I want you to pay attention to something that Jesus says here. He calls us to abide in Him. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It has to remain in the vine. You can't be fruitful unless you remain in Me. Verse 6, if you don't remain in Me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And a lot of people would go, oh yeah, this is the example. If you stop remaining in Jesus, you lose your salvation, and eventually He's just going to throw you off into hell. That's not what He's saying. 
And so I want to clear this up just a little bit because I think what Jesus is really trying to say here for us to understand is if we're going to abide in Him, if we're going to be connected to Him, remain near Him, then we're going to be very fruitful. But when we stop abiding with Christ, He says we're like a branch that isn't connected to the vine anymore. It falls off of the vine and it withers up and it's not worth anything. So you might as well throw it away and burn it. Jesus is basically just saying to us, listen, when you disconnect from a relationship with me, it doesn't mean you're out of the family. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian anymore. But it means you're going to be basically useless within the kingdom. That you're not providing fruit. You're not bearing fruit. You're not in a relationship with God. You're not moving forward. You're not growing. You're not sucking anything out of the vine that's going to help you take in nutrition. So you might as well be like a branch that's fallen off. The only thing that you can do with that is just throw it away and burn it. And Jesus isn't saying that He's going to throw us away and burn us, but He's telling us, He's given us an illustration here to say how, how um, significant this is. To say, if I'm not spending time with Jesus, if I'm not abiding in Him, there's not any fruit that's coming from my life, I'm really insignificant and of no value to kingdom growth and kingdom ministry until I've reestablished, reconnect to Jesus. That He regrafts us back into the vine. Jesus is always looking to do that. That when we sin, when we fall away from God, He wants to regraft us back in. He wants us to confess our sin, know that we've been forgiven of that, that anyone who does confess their sin is faithful and just to be forgiven of their sins, to be cleansed of that unrighteousness, and He wants to connect us back into the vine so that we will again go back to abiding. But this is huge, that God wants us to abide. And here's what Jesus knew and why this was so important to Him. is because dependence fosters devotion. Right? Dependence is going to foster devotion. If I'm dependent on you for my nutrition, it's like a, a, a child to a parent. I'm dependent on you. You're going to feed me. You're going to clothe me. You're going to uh, house me. I'm dependent on you. So I'm going to be devoted to our family. I'm not going to run away. Because if I run away, i got no food. i got no clothes. i got nowhere to stay. I'm devoted to you because I'm dependent on you. Jesus would say the same thing to us. Abide in me because dependence breeds devotion. Whereas independence breeds idolatry. That if I'm going to say, Jesus, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm going to be independent. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to find my path. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be independent of you. Guess what's going to happen next? That's going to breed idolatry in your life. That we're going to start replacing Jesus with lesser things. That we're going to pursue things that aren't going to, that aren't going to fulfill us. And then we're going to say, this is, this is good for me. I want this. I'm going to elevate this above Jesus. And Jesus is going to the whole time be saying, no, that's idolatry. When you're not remaining in me, abiding in me, you're chasing other things. Off the vine, Jesus knew this. Off the vine, we'll still make disciples. The question we have to ask ourselves is, of what? Like we're always making disciples. But if you're off the vine, you're not making disciples of Jesus. If you're not abiding in Him, remaining in Him, you're not going to make disciples of Him. You're going to make disciples of other things. Maybe it's athletics. You say, I'm going, to, I'm going to make this the priority. I'm going to chase this, pursue this, push my kids in this. I'm going to make sure that athletics is the main priority of my life. Or maybe it's the American dream. Where you go, you know what the biggest thing for me is? I want to have bigger and better and more. I've got to have more money. I've got to have a nicer car. I've got to have a better house. I've got to have all the newest gadgets. It's the chase, the pursuit of the American dream. Have everything you can possibly want. And off the vine, guess what I'm going to do with my kids? If they watch me do that, guess what? I'm going to make a disciple of my children or the people that I have influence in their life. They're going to start pursuing the American dream as if it's the main thing that life is all about. 
So you have to ask yourself, what is it that I'm pursuing? What is it that I'm going after that's replacing Jesus? Is it entertainment? Or are you saying, I just want, I want to know everything there is to know about this culture. I'm going to see every movie. I'm going to read every book. I'm going to every TV show. I'm going to spend hours and hours and hours and hours to have all the trivia knowledge I can possibly have of pop culture. Culture will disciple you to be like culture. If you spend time with culture, if you spend time in the world, you're going to think like the world, act like the world, believe like the world. If you spend time with Jesus, you're going to act like Jesus, think like Jesus, behave like Jesus, love like Jesus. And so Jesus is always calling us back to abide in Him. And here's why. Because Jesus wants us to know and uh, to be with Him for three reasons. If you're writing some things down, just, just write these next three things down really quickly. Jesus wants us to be with Him for three reasons. Verse 5, He says, Because apart from Me, you can do nothing. Jesus knew that. Hey, if you try to go off on your own and do things, it's not going to work. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me, abide in me, because it's with me that you'll really grow and make an impact and bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's number two. Number two is so that we'll be like him. Jesus knew that the more we are with him, the more we're like him. And so the illustration that I would use in this is um, when, when Heather and I were dating and uh, I was doing youth ministry at the time and we were dating and, and the more and more serious we got in our relationship and then I proposed to her and we were going to get married and the kids in my youth group would go, man, you know what, you're, you're changing. Like, we see some differences in you. You're, just, you're different, man. I don't, it's like, good different or bad different? Like, I don't know. It's different, though. It's different. And so it's like, well, what's the difference? Like, I, you're a lot more like Heather now. You're like, you're like her. Like you do things. She says things and you say things like her and you go places that she goes. And it's like, you're just like her. It's like, well, yeah, we're together a lot. So we're becoming like one another. I mean, listen, since we've been married, I watch HGTV now. I never did that. I never did that before. I never did that. Right. And now it's like we're watching HGTV and we've got the Property Brothers and we got, you know, buy it or sell it or whatever it is. And we've got all these TV shows. I don't know. We just watch it. Um, but we've got all these things and then it's like the Food Network comes on. It's like, okay, well, now we're watching the Food Network. So good. Okay. And so we're doing that. But guess what? She becomes like me too. You know what she spent all day yesterday doing? Watching football. She never did that before she met me. She could care less about football. She watched football with a book in her lap. In, in a different room of our house, you know, but like, I'm just kidding. She was right there front and center wearing her Tennessee gear, like the whole thing. She would have never done that before, but she's becoming more like me. I'm becoming more like her because together equals alike. And when you're together with someone enough, you're going to become like them. They're going to become like you. Jesus will tell us abide in me, remain in me. Why? Because I want you to be like me. I want you to be like me. So come and be with me. Come and abide and hang out with me. Here's the third thing. The third thing why Jesus wants us to be with him is so we will bear fruit and glorify God. That we'll bear fruit and glorify God. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, I love this, and here's why. Because it tells us that God is for us. That God is for us. That He wants us to make disciples. He wants us 
to be about His business, that He wants us to succeed. How do you know that? If you remain in me, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That doesn't mean, hey Jesus, I wish I had a Ferrari, could you plop one down in my driveway? That's not what He's talking about. He's saying if you will ask things that you know line up with my will, that bring glory to God and bear fruit in the kingdom, you can ask anything you want and I'll do it. God's for us. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to learn to ask for things. Why aren't we asking God to give us more opportunities to make disciples for His kingdom? Why aren't we asking God that He grow this faith family to be a place where people are connecting to truth, who are using their lives to go out and serve His kingdom in this community and around the world, that we find growth here, that we find relationship here? We should be asking God for these things. All we have to do is ask Him. And He'll give us the opportunity. So if you're sitting there going, man, Joel, this has been convicting to me these last three weeks, four weeks now. We've been talking about making disciples and, and I think I should be taking that step. I know what you've been saying. I agree with it. I should be making disciples. I'm at a place of spiritual maturity where I should be doing that, but I'm still a little bit nervous. I still don't know what the next step is to take. Here's your next step. Ask God. Ask God to put someone in your life that you will make disciples. He will answer that prayer because He's for you. He wants this plan to succeed. So let's ask Him for it. Here's the next thing if you want to write this down or look in your app for the outline. It's the responsibility, the responsibility of all mature believers to reproduce. It is the responsibility for all mature believers to reproduce. It's not an option. It's not a good idea. It's not one of those things that you kind of go, man, maybe if I get around to it one day when I've lived out the American dream and pursued all this other stuff, then I'll kind of get around to it in my twilight years when I'm older and I'm retired. That's when I'll invest in other people and make disciples. No, no, no. It is the responsibility of all mature believers to reproduce. Now, I want you to catch a word that I used in there. Mature. Not perfect, right? Because sometimes we convince ourselves, oh, that's, that's for perfect people. I got, uh, I got a newsflash for you. If that was true, there would be no disciples on planet earth because outside of Jesus, there have been no perfect people. Jesus wasn't relying on perfect people to make disciples. He was relying on the disciples. Do you remember those guys? They were the ones that denied Jesus in the garden when he was going off to be crucified. They were the guys that promised they would die for him but when the soldiers came, they ran away. These were the guys that Jesus had said, you're going to be plan A, there is no plan B. They were maturing. They weren't perfect. And when Jesus came back to life, and when He showed Himself to the disciples, and they realized really who He was, and that He was for them, and that He's with them, it changed their whole world. They still weren't perfect, but they were maturing. And they were fearless. And they knew they had been called into the family business. And they said, if this is what Jesus did, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make disciples who can make disciples. So there's no excuses for us. This is our responsibility. So what does this process look like? If you'll write down four things. As we mature in our faith, as you mature in your faith in Jesus, you learn, number one, to feed yourself. So as you're growing in your faith in Jesus, you're going to learn to feed yourself. In other words, I don't have to come to church to get fed all the time. Now I'm spending time with God on my own. I'm in God's Word by myself. I'm, I'm studying God's Word. I'm praying. I'm meditating on Scripture. I'm learning how to feed myself. And then as I'm learning how to feed myself, I want to learn to feed others. 
to be able to say, man, I, I want to take God's Word and not just know it for me, but I want to sit down with someone else and say, let me teach you how to feed yourself. This is like a parent to a child. Again, this illustration always comes up. But can you imagine being a parent and your you know, 30 or 40-year-old child comes to your house on Sunday for lunch and says, Mom, will you cut up my meat and put it in my mouth for me? Like, no, I won't do that. You need to learn to feed yourself. We need to grow up in our faith in the same way that we grow up in our bodies. That at some point we're being set free to go and to do on our own. And so as believers in Christ, we learn to feed ourselves, then we learn to feed others. Then here's number three, that we teach them to feed themselves so that they're not dependent on us forever and ever and ever. I know how to feed myself. I'm going to teach you how to feed yourself. Now I want you to also be able to feed others. That's number four, teach them to feed others. That it's not just enough to say, I know how to do this on my own, but I'm going to teach other people how to do this. Uh, maybe a great illustration of that is from the NBA years and years ago. One of my favorite players, a guy that I respect and admire a lot, is Bill Russell. Uh, and Bill Russell played for the Boston Celtics uh, back in their glory days, right? In his career, he won 11 national championships, 11 NBA championships. Nine of those titles he won as a player. Red Auerbach was the coach, and Bill Russell was the player, and they won nine championships together. After winning nine championships... Auerbach looked at Russell and went, you know what? You don't need to just be on the team and a player anymore. You need to be the coach. I want you to teach other people to do what you do. And so Bill Russell became a player coach. He played and coached the team at the same time. Like, that's weird. That's unheard of. We don't see that in our day. But Bill Russell was a player coach. I know how to play the game. I've learned how to feed myself. I've learned how to do all these things. But now I'm going to turn around and teach you guys. I want to be the coach of this team so that you know how to do these same things that I know how to do. And then we see the trickle-down effect of that is what we would call a coaching tree. And so if you don't care about sports and athletics, this may be an illustration that just loses you, but you think about a coaching tree, and somebody like, and I hate to do this, but he's the best in the game right now, so we're going to use Nick Saban. And so that just bothers me to even say that. But anyway, Nick Saban is the top of the game, right? And under Nick Saban, he's got assistant coaches. And a lot of those assistant coaches have gone on to leave his school and go to other schools and become head coaches who have assistant coaches. And a lot of those guys then go on and leave their school to go to other schools and become head coaches. And what you've got is, from Nick Saban, you've got disciples that he's made who go out and do the same thing, who teach others how to do the same thing, who teach others how to do the same thing. And ultimately, you start getting programs that look a whole lot like, although not as good as, Alabama. This is what Christianity is supposed to look like. That as I walk with Christ and get to know Christ and love Jesus and I learn from Him, then I'm going to teach other people how to do that. So they can in turn teach other people how to do that. And those people can in turn teach other people how to do that. I had a great conversation with my oldest son this past week. And he was, he was just broken hearted one night at home. And he was saying, Dad... I've got a question. I don't even really know how to, how to pose this. I, I don't even know how to ask this. But he's like, why couldn't Jesus just make everybody love him? And it just be like have to kind of thing so that no one dies and doesn't get to be with Jesus forever? Why, why couldn't Jesus just make everybody love him? I was like, man, why, why are you asking that question? I'm curious just to know where that's coming from. And he's like, I just... I've got friends in my school who, they're not Christians. And a lot of it is because their families are not Christians. 
And I'm afraid that one day they're not going to be in heaven with me. So I said, man, that's, that's why it's so important for you to be someone. As mom and dad are teaching you what it means to follow Jesus, that you've got to learn how to teach your friends about Jesus, about his love for them, and how to follow him. This is why we're investing in our kids. Because our kids are going to turn around and invest in someone else. And hopefully someone else will accept Christ and they'll learn and grow and then they'll go and invest in someone else. This is the pattern of discipleship. It's what we're supposed to be about. That we learn to feed ourselves. We learn to feed others. We teach them to feed themselves. And then we teach them to feed others. So disciple makers in that same vein, they feed themselves spiritually during the week. If you're a disciple maker, you know how to feed yourself spiritually during the week. Then you go get supplemental food at church. Like, that's what church is about. This shouldn't be the only place, the only time you ever encounter God's Word during the week. This is not your primary food source of spiritual growth. This is supplement. This is a place to be challenged and encouraged and grow. But you need to get supplemental food at church through worship, through being in a life group, through being in Bible study. And then after that, we need to invest in people who are younger in their faith throughout the week, that we disciple others, that we minister and serve. And so we're going to constantly be about this. This is where Jesus said we would bear much fruit as a result of abiding in Him. He says, if you want to abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. How? By making disciples, by investing in other people. And so I want to give you three spheres very quickly to end, three spheres for relational discipleship. That as you think about this, all discipleship, we believe, because of how Jesus did it, all discipleship should take place in a relational environment. Jesus was incredibly relational. We believe you should be relational as you make disciples as well. The first sphere of relational discipleship should be in your home. With a spouse, with your kids, with your neighbors, whatever that is. And your sphere of influence relationally is your home. The second one is in the church and in God's, uh, in God's family. That when we come here, that in life groups, in, in relationships, that we'll see people and say, man, I see what God's doing in your life. I'm a little bit further along in my faith journey than you, just a little bit more mature. Would you let me invest in you, disciple you, pour into you, and, and, and show you how to follow God so you can continue to grow in your faith? That's what we're supposed to be about. And then the, the third sphere is the world. That wherever it is that God puts us in this world, that we're supposed to be in relationships with people that would allow us the opportunity to win the right to share with them our faith and to help them understand who Jesus is, what He's done for them, and the relationship they can have with Him. And so when we think about the world, I want to end the series kind of back where we began. That my fear in the American church is that for a long time, we have had the majority of people in the church that have said, I'm content to be on the team. It's great having Jesus in my heart and knowing that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I really like sitting on the bench. These chairs are comfortable. I can come to church anytime I want to, be encouraged, be loved on. I am on the team, and that's a great place to be. But I think we've got a lot of people who are on the team, but they're not in the game. They're not in the game. They're not doing what Jesus called us to do. Jesus didn't say, come and know me and then sit and soak in me. He said, you come and know me, and then you go and make disciples. Go. So we've got to go get in the game. We've got to go play. We've got to try our best to take the grace and the love and the mercy and the compassion of God to other people. So we want to be a part of the bigger invitation that Jesus has given us to be in the game. And I want this church to be a church where people have a deeper understanding of the Christian faith and the responsibility that Jesus has left us with. 
go and make disciples. So we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, where? Here and around the globe. Uh, we're going to do that here and we're going to do that globally. So here, what if the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit telling you to do as your next step? As you think about your place in this church, what's the Holy Spirit telling you to do with your next step? Maybe you need to be discipled by someone. Maybe you need to join a life group. Maybe you need to be part of a Bible study. Maybe you need to be someone who is looking out around this room and going, I want to disciple that person. I'm going to invite them into a relationship with me to disciple them. What's your next step? Then when we think about globally, next week we're going to hear how to take next steps uh, to take our gospel, to take the gospel to the nations. Uh, Joel and Elizabeth Peterson are going to be with us next week sharing about what God is doing in their life as he's called them to go and to serve Muslims. And so we're going to be entering into a partnering relationship as a church with them. That as they're being sent out, we're going to support what they're doing and potentially in the future as God opens doors, that we're even going to send people to be with them and serve with them. And that's just the first step for what we want to see our global impact make in this world. That we become a church with a global vision. That God has called us to go into all the world and make disciples. And so the reason we do this and the reason we feel like we're supposed to get in the game, the reason that we're in the family business and that we know that God is for us is because of what Jesus said to us to encourage his disciples and to encourage us as he was leaving the keys to the family business in their possession. And as Jesus left earth, his last message to them was Matthew 28, 19 and 20. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and know that I'm with you forever to the very end. Jesus has all authority. And He's called us to go under His authority into the world, here and around the globe, with the message of hope that's found in Christ. And so we want to invite you onto that journey. And this morning our response is just going to be as we sing together, we're going to wrap up our time in worship by singing again. I just want you to take time as we sing these last couple of songs to think about what's God calling you to do. As He's calling us to go to broken places, difficult places, to hurting people, how do we get engaged? How do we get in the game? And my prayer is that we'll find our way to take what Jesus has challenged us to do in this series and to move forward to go out in His name to change the world for the glory of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love you. I'm grateful to you for your truth and for your word and for the power that's there. Thank you, God, that you have authority and that we get to be a part of your plan, that we get to be a part of what you're doing in this earth. So you haven't hidden this from us. You've made it known to us. You haven't called us servants. You've called us friends, and you've told us as your friends to go into all the world and make disciples. So God, would you give us a passion for that? Would you give us a vision for that? Would you not let us stray away from it? We trust you to help us to make those connections and to be in relationships with people in a way that allows us to share the gospel, to help people connect one another, to minister on your behalf, and to make disciples in every aspect and phase of our life. God, we love you and we trust you. And ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with me and let's worship today.